podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. Welcome to another edition of The Whistleblowers. Uh, you can find us at Football Podcast on Twitter. And you know what? You should probably follow it because uh, why? What's the pitch here, Gareth? Uh, otherwise, you will miss shows and you never want to miss a show. Yeah, I mean, that, that wraps it up pretty nicely. Uh, that voice was not the voice of Martin Gritton, who you normally hear. Uh, instead, it was Gareth Dobson. He's our resident Spurs fan and music industry mogul. Yeah, I like mogul. Yeah, we'll words. go with mogul. Yeah, well, let's get straight into it because um, you are a Spurs fan. You've got the credentials. You're a card-carrying member of 30 years of, of 30 mild years. depression. Mild? Mild. Oh, you've done all right then. Yeah, you know, I tried to keep a bright, a bright outlook on it all. How are you feeling bright outlook-wise after uh, the game yesterday against United? You were there? Yes. So I was... Uh, so what, was... What's your reaction now? You've had a day to ruminate on it and think about it. So I left feeling um, fairly positive because I thought Spurs played, played well overall. Um, and yeah, we're certainly equal to Man United. Um, it's... I think there's this whole strange perspective thing where I still look back at the fact that until five years ago, we were at best a very mediocre team. Um, and, you know, it's been the best probably sustained five-year period for the club in an incredibly long time. Um, so I, I always sort of walk away from these games not feeling too embittered, but, you know, at the game yesterday, there was, you know, people leaving a couple of minutes from the end, sort mm. of swearing at the pitch, Acting as if uh, you know Spurs had once again let them down, and Bot- bottled it, bottled it, and, yeah. and which is a ridiculous thing, by the way. That Spurs for some reason get get labelled as this, and I really don't know where that's come from. They just bottled it. I mean, you can lose a game of football or, or not win the league without having bottled it. Well, this is true, and I I definitely get a little touchy on the subject because uh, probably this whole I doff protest too much because I, I think the issue is Spurs have failed in high profile spots. A number of times and I think you know you lose semi-finals and finals and if you uh if you don't go and win a few then it, it's an easy narrative to beat the team around the head with but you know I think this team has more mental fortitude and you know sort of confidence in themselves and, and their process than any other I can remember but it's so yeah it wasn't for once a case of Spurs sort of bowling it or, or, or sort of shrinking it at the you know at the possibility of, of, of beating another big team, they were they were genuinely unlucky. They they had more chance than United, and um, yeah, United made the best of what was probably the best chance of the game. It was the best move of the game. But I think if you're a Spurs fan, you look back, you'll say, you know, you, Spurs won seven out of eight mm. going into this, and it's like, you know, seven out of nine is pretty good. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned there a few fans leaving early, swearing at the pitch and whatnot. What was the atmosphere? like in the ground how frustrated are people getting at the moment with Spurs because it sounds like you're a positive Spurs fan but I know there's the opposite as well knocking about it's I I think it's it's the whole raised expectation issue where because uh, Spurs now will you know beat most of the teams in front of them you know 16 out of 19 teams or 15 or so they'll they'll generally win and win well yeah um so there's always a sense of well we should be winning we should always win at home um and I think also probably filtered into the fact that, you know, Spurs have had some very good results against United in the last few seasons, won 3 0 at Old Trafford at the start of the year. In what was almost a reverse sort of game to this one? Oh, yeah, totally. United had the better of that game, and, mm. and Spurs kind of, uh, you know, hit them pretty hard on some counters. But I, I think that 
there's this frustration, I think, with Spurs fans because they're told that, you know, they're not having everything their way. They don't have a ground yeah. to fill in yet. They're told they don't have any money to spend. They hear that bigger clubs or the biggest clubs are coming in for their players. So, yeah, it's a strange thing. It's the best Spurs fans have ever had it. and mm. But obviously, there always has to be a media conversation. There always has to be... Yeah, well, you know what's wrong or what 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 needs to change. Um, I read an interesting article uh, the other day, which pointed out that you know Spurs a few years ago had a young team, and this team is now sort of now matured to, you know, their average age is like twenty six, twenty seven, which I think is about the average in the Premier League. Yeah. So it's no longer oh they're a bright young team. It's now well they're a team who need to uh, realize their potential. Realize the potential, but also there's the worry that. You know, there are some now aging parts. The midfield is yeah. really creaking, is looking a little bare. So I think there is a ticking clock in a lot of Spurs fans' heads. Like, you don't want to be like Newcastle in the mid 90s, where everyone was like, your team is brilliant and you won nothing. Yeah. You know, you'd rather have people say, your team is great. Oh, and you won a couple of, you know, you won a, a cup. And Yeah. I think you get the impression with the Spurs team that you, it's a, there's a finite amount of time that you're going to have this group together. Poch won't stay forever. Nope. Um, you know, Kane is still quite well, he's still young, isn't he? So he, he's fine as long as he stays, which there's no suggestion he wouldn't. But there's a group of players there that you need to start getting something out of. Because I think in another generation, this team could win the Premier League two or three times in, in four or five years. But it happens to be that they've got a lot of things seemingly against them, as well as the fact that they're up against an outstanding couple of teams in City and Liverpool. Oh, totally. I mean, they're... You know, there are, I think there are a couple of years. It, this is Spurs' best start ever to a, yeah, a top flight season, right. or certainly in 50 or 60 years. So it's years. still progress. So it's still progress. Year on year progress. Then, unfortunately, you have Pep Guardiola and you have, yeah. uh, you know, Jürgen, I think Jurgen Klopp has the best squad in the Premier League. Um, you think Liverpool have a better squad than Man City? I think it's probably the stronger. Yeah, if you kind of okay. manage to average out across. They've got more players. We'll, we'll get onto Liverpool quality. later on. Um, but with this Spurs squad, the frustration I have with watching them as a neutral uh, is that I look at the ground situation, which is a whole new podcast on its own. But for me, that squad and that first team, if you had two or three more players of a certain level, and in this market it's 30 or 40 million quid each, if you had two or three more of those players, you're genuine bona fide challengers. Yeah. And losing Sissoko in the first half of a game wouldn't be an issue. To me, yesterday, watching Sissoko go down... Sissoko, by the way, he's done amazingly well to turn himself around in public it's opinion. It's, it's great. Thing. It's really, really impressive. But when he went off, they had a choice. Either bring on... Uh, is it Oliver Skip? Yes. Bring him on, who is... We don't know what he's like yet. He's young. You know, we don't know. He's not that level just yet. He might well get to that level, but he's not, he's not the guy you want in the centre of the field against the rejuvenated United. Or you bring on Lamella and change the whole system. And they're the only two options they had at Spurs. Mm. And that, to me, is terrifying if you're if you're still battling on different fronts and you're still expecting to challenge for the Premier League so my point is this is uh is Levy to blame for this is there any blame associated to him or is that just being incredibly harsh on a a, a owner who has done great things for Spurs it's tricky I mean I I think the only thing you could probably blame him for sort of quote-unquote is being a realistic chairman in the sense that so he made the decision to build a new stadium. He decided that Spurs would never advance into that stratosphere of the biggest clubs unless they had a new stadium, increased revenue, all those boring things you read about, which are mm-hmm. important if you want to you know, sustain 
yeah, where and, you and are get to the next league. level and, yeah, eventually. Next level. But the payoff, as we found out with Arsenal, you know, 10, 15 years ago now, is that it hampers what you can do financially, yeah. certainly in the transfer market. So there's this kind of incredibly difficult balancing act where it's like you need to hold the ship for five years. You need to use the, the, the youth academy. You need to find less expensive players in the market. Yeah. But you still also need to keep your team at the top of the league in order so that when the stadium is there and it is built and you are five years down the line, there are people still there and there are people who still want to go and you're still challenging. It's like, you know, I think the most horrifying albatross would be for, you know, a club to plummet because, you know, they have this shiny new stadium, no players to put in it and therefore, Mm. you know, no fans to put in it and then suddenly be like, well, we've got all this money. It's like, oh, but we're, you know, 15th in the league. Yeah, um, and it's, it's something that does happen and, and can yeah, happen it's, it's within a, a very short amount of time as well. I mean, I mentioned earlier that realistically, Poch isn't going to be there forever, and if and when he does leave, that on its own could be a huge issue. The the, the transformative effect he's, having, he's had on that team over the last how long has he been there? Four years, Five, four and a half. Four years. Yeah. He, it, it's so easy to overlook what he's done from the bottom to the top of that club. All throughout that club, it's got Poch stamped throughout it. If he leaves tomorrow. I mean, a lot of that is undone, and you could realistically, in two years' time, be eighth or ninth in the league. Yeah, it's entirely feasible. I mean, you look at you look at the squad, and like you said, it's it's a very good team. Mm. I don't know how good the squad is, but yeah, where, you lose where would a you strengthen? Where would I strengthen? Right, right now, immediately, the central midfield is a is a big issue because Dembele is now. I think he's had a lot of injuries in the last couple of years and he's gone from being a force to someone you can't rely on, which is a shame. Yeah. He's in his 30s now. Um, and a, a lot of back surgeries and things like that, right? Yeah, and yeah, fundamental injuries which seem to give you know change how good you can be as a footballer, especially as you get older. And, and um, playing in this intense, the, the intense system that Poch has, two games a week, you can't expect him to play. And he's, he's a rarity. He's a, he's a box-to-box midfielder it's rare to find a player yep. who can defend and attack he can do everything and and you know do all these things and um so in order to replace him you either have to go back in and find some gem for yep. only 20 million <laughs> euros from from you know some yeah. french club and try and develop them or you have to pay outlandish you know paul pogba amounts of yep. money and obviously that's not an option for spurs at the moment no. um wanyama has been I forgot uh, who was there. F- yeah, he's he's lost two years to injury. Yeah, and again, it feels like it may be something he doesn't come back from. It's it's exciting and promising to Oliver Skip and, and Harry Winks, but um, I don't think you know yet how good they are, how good they will be. Yeah. Eric Dyer's a good player, but I don't think he's going to become the player. He's that, not in that top elite no. level, I don't think. He's, that, he's a good player. He's a he good is, player. but he's now approaching twenty five, I think, and he he hasn't made that that mm. final step up to being. A premium. Yeah, I, I think when you look at that position, and from an England point of view, look at that position of a defensive or holding mid, and you think, well, actually, already I, I look at Declan Rice, for example, and think he's got a lot more in his armoury yeah. than uh, Eric Dyer. Maybe he's the sort of player you could look to bring in. But Declan Rice is going to cost 65 million quid, and, and he's, know, he's, is, he's just and, turned 20. And I'm fairly sure West Ham wouldn't be it wouldn't very sell keen it to Spurs. on selling of course, Spurs. Of course, he wouldn't. So, I mean, so, so there lies the problem, is that if you want to improve on an excellent first eleven. You've got to spend a huge amount of money if you want to improve the squad. Well, the top players aren't, want to come, aren't going to want to come and yeah. be on the bench. So it's, it's a very difficult situation. I'd say for Spurs, personally, I think that their entire spine needs reinforcements. Yeah. Not a huge fan of Lloris. 
we'll get into Lloris and De Gea in a moment. Um, I think the centre-backs are creaking a bit, both of them. Uh, Toby can't be relied on for the entire season. Um, and Vertonghen, as we saw yesterday, come back from injury, so you've got a bit more, bit more lenient with him. But he, he looked off the pace to me. But he's had a few injuries now. He yeah. seems to have some recurring uh, muscle injuries, which aren't great. It's, always, it's always a worry. Yeah. Centre midfield, as you said. And then, you know, up front, I mean, Son's gone to the uh, Asian Games, the is Asian it? Asian Cup this and, time. Right. Asian Games in September. The last Very one. different. Yeah, sorry, man. <laughs> uh, and Harry Kane looks like he's injured. So, I mean, yeah. Vincent Janssen isn't getting a look in. He's done. He's done, done. Um, and so you've just got Lorente. I mean, that is, that, is, that is a scary thought. Because Spurs, Spurs are an excellent side, but they could drop out the top four still. This isn't done and dusted. Yeah, they have a really crucial run of games now where I think they have three or four fairly winnable-looking sort of league fixtures, three of which are at home. The other one is Fulham this weekend coming. But if they don't pick up 10 points or realistically 12 out of those, you know, a resurgent United and a sort of, you know... A Arsenal are a good enough team that they will stay in contention, I feel, yeah. you know, into into the spring. So, yeah, they need to be looking over their shoulder, which is... But Chelsea, I mean, they're, they're the ones that I'd be... Indeed. ...worried about if I was Spurs, I think. And it's... I, well, I, I think, you know, Chelsea taking that further fourth spot, I, I think Spurs will happily... This season would take fourth, would seed yes. third place to Chelsea, and then it's... But the question is, can you keep both Arsenal and Manchester United off, off yeah. your backs going into into the spring. I mean, the United are the season now. Yeah, yeah the, the point where Spurs are meant to be bottling it, so I guess we'll see. <laughs> um, I want to talk about, I know it's been done to death, even though it's one day after the event itself, but um, De Gea yesterday, was that a, a masterclass or was that just poor finishing? So you, I think the two usually go hand in hand. I think it, it felt like it was one of the best games I've seen De Gea play. Mm. Especially, I mean, he, you know, he, he's been good, not as you know, empirically good this year, especially after a very dodgy World Cup. Yeah. Um, but he has this thing where he seems to make, just make these saves of his legs. It's very, it's infuriating. Well, they're the hardest ones to save, I think. Yeah. Keepers traditionally have gone with their hands and it's so hard to get down to. I mean, the, actually, the, the Rashford goal, I think, was a good example of how hard it is to yes. get those balls close to you. Um, so in direct comparison with, with uh, Lloris... Uh, Jermaine Jenis made this point on Match of the Day 2 last night where they sort of superimposed De Gea's starting position compared mm. to Lloris's. And Lloris is right outside the left-hand post and the angle's all wrong. And De Gea, I think, will probably be a step further to the right and saves it with his legs. And that was the difference in the game, right? Yes. That, was the, that was it. Because United had a couple of good chances. Lloris made some decent saves. Again, I wouldn't say they're world-class saves in the same way I wouldn't say that De Gea's were necessarily world-class. The world-class thing that De Gea does is get his positioning right. Yeah. So he's not making those stretching ones. He's just, he's there where it matters. And it's also his, yeah, his positioning because he's encouraging you to try and put the ball in certain places and he knows that's where it's yeah. going to go. If you, so. can hit, if, you can, if you can get it in that far corner and you've beaten me, then there's nothing else I can do. But you've got to get it absolutely in that corner. There's no other way you're going to beat him. And that's the pressure. That's the pressure of going up against De Gea because you know that's the case now as well. So Deli Ali running through has already seen two or three shots be saved. He knows he's got to be so clinical and that adds extra pressure in a moment that is already pressurised. When you know, you know the opposition goalkeeper saving everything, there must be an element of, wow. The goal looks tiny. Where am I gonna, yeah, suddenly yeah, the goal yeah. is tiny. Where am I going to put this? And yeah. um, I, I think Lloris was actually a little, a little unfortunate um, for the goal in a sense that... So the, the ball from Pogba was so good um, 
and it put Rashford, you know, on his direct path. And I think it meant that Lloris had to quickly backtrack. Yeah, he's sprinting back. Yeah, it it didn't give him the chance to to sell himself. So you can argue that that's more perhaps the quality of of United's goal, which I think is an absolutely fantastic goal. Yeah, it was a good goal, yeah. Um, So, but then it's... I could probably make 10 excuses for release this season. He's not as reliable as De Gea. De Gea no. is the better goalkeeper. And but there's no shame in that. I mean, De Gea is one no. of the best in the world, if not the best in the world. And Lloris is still an elite level Premier League goalkeeper, right? Yeah, he's he's a top five or six goalkeeper. But then when you have two teams who are stacked with good players and you know basically well put together, those are the margins, I think, that can win a game. So... It's. Uh, I think you know it'd be reductive to say, well, the only one because goalkeeper was great. It was like, but that's why he. But plays Barcelona for... only one because Messi has all these oh, besides, talents. Th- like, there's a reason why they have De Gea in goal. Yeah, it's, and... it's, 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 it's a player that they have bought and employed. Yeah. You don't. No one says it's about strikers. Oh, the only one because Harry Kane scored a hat trick. Well, yeah, but that's the, we picked him, and he's right. one of our players. So it's uh, yeah, and, and I think United. Yeah, they they had a good game plan as well. They they pressed high and yeah. they they looked to contain Spurs and then you know try and pick them off and attack. You know there was a number of balls sent out wide to to both Rashford and Martial and they looked very dangerous every time. So I think you know uh, Solskjaer they had their week break. They went to Dubai and they mm-hmm. obviously worked on a bunch of things and they identified that you know one of the weaknesses was Spurs's. If we were if we play Ben Davies and Trippier as the fullbacks, is there's not as much pace there um, as say if you employed Aurier and Rose. But then if yeah. you have those two, you're defensively maybe a little less uh, watertight. So I think Solskjaer basically made a good guess of who was going to play, yeah. and he exploited them well. So there must be some credit going there. Oh, absolutely, and I think what's uh, positive for United is that Solskjaer came in and looked like essentially they had just sort of released a. Uh, a lovable sort of dog into the dressing room and everyone was delighted to see him. Like, oh my God, look, play, let's play with the new guy. And actually he's got, you know, some tactical awareness. He's not just some guy who's coming off the street. He's been, albeit in Norway, operating at a high level. He's not, you know, he's not an amateur at this. And I think it's unfair just because he looks young and we still remember him as being that you know, young looking kid. The baby face assassin. Yeah, exactly. Just because of that, we shouldn't forget he is... He's a good manager. Yeah, he's an experienced uh, footballer and manager. But having said all of this, had that been 4-1 to Spurs yesterday, you couldn't have really complained. And it could have been 4 or 5-1. Or it could, on the other hand, have been 3-0 to United. Sure, it was sure. a strange, strange game yesterday. And actually, as a neutral watching that, um, excellent. Really, it was a really fun game, game to watch. There was, there was a really good atmosphere. The same. It felt like a big game because um, while it wasn't chasing for the title, it felt that there was a lot at stake for both teams. If Spurs had won... I think they would have basically cemented a top four position, yeah. or certainly for a you know a good few months. And but everyone knew that if United won as they did, then it would really give uh, credence to this idea that they they can push into top four and yeah. they can make the season a positive. Where... So the storylines all over the place. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, is that is that done then for the title challenge? That's that's all finished now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's the only possibility is if. Spurs went to Anfield and won, which is kind of the key game left. When is that? Um, I think it's in March. Okay, a little while um, left, So yeah. it's a little while away. Um, but even then, yeah, you'd still be looking at Liverpool and City to be dropping more points than you'd expect. So it's And, and, and now I think, given that uh, Spurs have potentially lost Kane for a couple of weeks possibly and Son could be out for a month, yeah. um, I don't know if uh, Lorente is a title-winning striker. 
put it that way. No, maybe not. Well, let's move on to Liverpool. Um, I mean, for me, they're, they're the favourites for the league. Uh, we can't comment on City from this weekend because it's, it's Monday now and they're playing after this podcast records. But Liverpool, that game against Brighton, I think, was a real coming of age for Liverpool. Brighton, solid team, hard to break down. They always score at home. This is the yeah. first game they haven't scored at home for 10 months. Liverpool just looked solid. And yeah, okay, it was a penalty that won it, but they still count. And they just seem to be this sort of, this machine now that are breaking down teams when they need to. They had two losses in a row, but it bounced back. And the second loss, the one in the cup, I, yeah, mean, I don't think you count that anyway. It's negligible. Right? And it's probably put them in a reasonable position because apart from the Champions League, they have no fixtures outside the league. They're going to have weeks at a time. Absolutely. There's plenty games. of players at Anfield, or maybe not players, but plenty of people in the upper echelons at Anfield who will be rubbing their hands together thinking, it's not all bad that we're out of the FA Cup. This is, this is, this is fine. We can now concentrate. Oh, a good example is uh, when Chelsea last won the league under Conte, it was following a season where they failed to qualify yeah. for the Champions League. Um, these things seem to happen. You know, I, I think uh, Spurs, the first time they broke into the top four is when they didn't have any UEFA Cup commitments or yeah. Europa League. Um, so it, it, it helps hugely. You, know, you look at, without straying too much from the game of hand, you look at Burnley, who struggled horrendously at the start of the season because they weren't used to having two games a week they were playing yeah. every Thursday and as soon as they go out in the Europa League they return to you know the, the level of Burnley you expect so we talked about squad depth of, of City and Liverpool um, who's going to win it one word uh, Liverpool yeah same which same. is it's still strange for me to say because it doesn't feel quite right but <laughs> I, I as in it doesn't feel right in the sense that they haven't won it for so long and you just... It's just quite an alien concept. Yeah, now, you, you, also you look at a Pep team you think, well, they'll win. They'll win. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I think Liverpool was strengthened so well in the summer and I think the fact that they can bring uh, Shakiri into their starting lineup without losing any of their strikers, they can actually play the four of them, including Shakiri is amazing. It gives yeah. them so many options. I said one word, but that was, that was fine as well. That's two <laughs> words. Uh, right, we're going to take a short break. Uh, back in a few moments. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. Welcome back to the Whistleblowers podcast with me, Mark Smith. I'm with Gareth Dobson. All right, Gareth? I'm uh, doing great, thank you. Enjoy that break? It was very refreshing. Really good couple of hours. Um, <laughs> we are joined in this section uh, by a voice very familiar to all of us. It's uh, a man using his one phone call from prison. It is Martin Gritton. How are you, Martin? Hi. I'd, I'd, I'd be really keen to use this. It's called wisely this month again, Mark. After you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, you're on a train, um, so I mean, good luck with uh, with it not cutting out. Uh, this section I'm excited about because we get to talk about my team, Derby County, because we've been in the news this week as of Friday with this insane story that um, Leeds United and, and, and Marco Bielsa was using a spy to come down to the training ground at Derby and spy on the players. Um, <laughs> as an ex-pro, Martin, have you experienced anything like this before? Incredibly, yes. I mean, at the, at the end of the league that I played at, this sort of nonsense was commonplace. More so because I, I always, I always tried to work out why. Because I was like, well, who can, I mean, surely you can work out what's going to be that much of a surprise. But if you can watch and I suppose see what the starting lineup is rather than a tactical thing, because yeah. um, you know that we were we we used to train and when I was at Torquay, we used to train on the race course, and that's pr- and right in the middle it's of such it. Such a thoroughbred, Martin. <laughs> 
correct. That's the way we played. Just basically, you know, good to soft. You know that sort of thing. Um, but uh, but obviously, there's a grandstand, and you can be in any box watching us. Tra- so to vet that was quite difficult. When I went to Grimsby, there was this old scout that used to go, "Yeah, I used to give him binoculars and go and sit in one of the stands and watch you guys train." And I was like, "Well." I don't, as bad as that sounds, I'm like, I, I, I more felt sorry for him that he had to turn up and watch yeah. us train on an absolute paddy field. But, uh, but at the same time, it was quite weird because you're thinking, well, those margins at that level probably aren't there. But at championship level, maybe maybe the margins are there. I don't, what did you think of it? Because being your team, how did you feel? Did you feel slighted? Uh, I felt absolutely aggrieved by it. And I think Leeds should be um, sort of disbanded as a club entirely. <laughs> Um, no, I think it's. I sort of think it's uh, very much a um, storm in a teacup. I think this thing probably happens quite a lot, um, but he's been caught. That, that's the problem, and he is. Um, it just seems seedy, and I think it. You know, we're meant to be British, and everything's fair and above the board, and it just seems a bit yeah. odd that they're doing that. I, I don't feel comfortable with it, and I think that had he not been caught, you wonder what else he'd. You know, what, what other levels will go to? Because we say, okay, it's championship level, but he was doing it in in, in other countries at the top level as He's well. He's renowned for it, apparently. Right? Yeah. What do you think, Gareth? Um, if this was happening to Spurs, if this was, you know, Chelsea coming down and spying on your players beforehand, disbanded. Um, <laughs> so the, the, the funny thing is, he he technically hasn't broken any rules. Essentially, he's done something like you said. Is is very? You know, it's a bit immoral. Or it's it's not really what you're meant to do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there, there's no punishment to be had. It, it's more just an admission that, you know, football manager tries to get every competitive advantage available, which, yeah. you know, if I was a Leeds fan, I'd be ecstatic. That's what I want from I, I want my manager, my manager to be thinking outside the box. I mean, the, the players on the pitch use every single advantage they can, right? Because it is absolutely... It's the, 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 the difference in winning and losing. Like we said, the Spurs-United game, the, the, the margins are so slight that you want that advantage. So why not do it off the pitch? I am a little bit annoyed about it. I do think it seems, it seems wrong. It does yeah. seem wrong to be doing it. And I wouldn't be particularly thrilled if Frank Lampard was doing it. But this idea that, oh, Bielsa's come over here and he's done this awful thing, I mean, I'm sure it's happening all the time, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, all clubs, like you said, will be looking for, for every edge. What I want to know is, what do you think they would have identified about your club? What, well, what takeaways? First of all, how lovely our training facilities are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be there on Thursday filming with the boys. Very excited yeah. about that. Uh, but I think, realistically, th- there is an issue here because um, Harry Wilson, for example, wasn't training uh, the few days before the game. So they'd have known, right, we know not to have to worry about mm-hmm. him. They're probably gonna, we're probably going to uh, deploy a second um, a contingency plan. So that's, a, that's an advantage. You can train on that for a day or two. I know it's only the day before, but you can do... Four yeah, or five hours of work. There are, sure. there are advantages. I know that they'd get the team sheet an hour before kickoff, which will give them an hour anyway, but there's a huge difference between being able to sleep on it yeah. and really think it through and not. So there is an advantage there. And of course, in the game itself, Leeds were just absolutely dominant. I don't know if you saw it, but we weren't at the races at yeah, all. They, they played well. Yeah, and, and I think that there's no suggestion, and Frank Lampard's admitted it as well, there's no suggestion that the spying had any impact on the game at all. However, we don't actually know, and we'll never actually know if it did or not yeah it's like suspicion is yeah of course the suspicion is that it it had no effect but we will never know uh so yeah i mean he's been caught i don't think he'll do it again um i think just move on really yeah it it feels like a very sort of you know little english affair very storm in the teacup um 
I, the outrage is more like, like we said, is, is because you're not meant to do it rather than the sense of something awful has happened. Uh, Martin, how do you see this going in the future? Do you think it will become a, a rule to be broken? Will the FA introduce something that makes this illegal? I think I think they'll definitely have to do something, uh, just in terms of saying, uh, you know, an etiquette thing or just like a code of conduct mm-hmm. that it's, you know, it's, it's a bit unsightly. I do find it uh, amusing that so many coaching reports come out and are sent around to the clubs, and there's like a free resource for that. But you can find out a lot about a club through them. So yeah. hopefully, it's just a case of like don't do it again. That's a bit annoying. And um, I do have a. I, I'm going to set as a whistleblower's quest, though, Mark. I don't know if. Um, our own physio at, uh, at Macclesfield is an X-Man City player called Nicky Reed, and he has the best spine story ever. And I can only remember half of it. Brilliant. And it involves <laughs> Stan Turner getting a black eye for trying to listen in. There's a there's a back door apparently at Burnley. You can go around and let, you can put your ear up for the away dressing room. <laughs> and one of the guys in the home dressing room was booted the door open, smacked Stan Turner. And gave him a black eye, and Stan came back, and he's very angry man, Stan. Great. And he came back into. He's, he's one of the only men that Neil Warnock actually physically hates. So there must be something he's doing that. Uh, that so <laughs> he's got some interesting stories. So I've found this. So Nicky Reed's no longer a physio. He runs a pub in Chorley, mm-hmm. and I'm going to drive up to Chorley at some point for this season. I'll get on the train, and we're going to go and find his pub, and I'm going to ask him because he tells the best about being Stan physio and then having to basically pull Stan away while he had a... Well, let's, let's, let's record a Whistleblowers podcast from his pub in Chorley. Chorley. Coming in your ears from Chorley. <laughs> yes, why not? Let's do that. Right. Uh, Martin, good to chat. I've got, yeah, sorry, the prison warden's coming back. No, I'll, I'll, I'll see you guys next week. Yeah, good luck. Good luck. Right. Uh, Martin Gritton there, regaling us with stories of spying from the lower leagues. Um, yeah, I mean, it is something that doesn't sit well with me particularly, but what can you do? Um, now, I want to talk about um, Declan Rice. We mentioned him earlier on. Yes. Um, I imagine you saw the, the Arsenal game. I did. The early kickoff on Saturday. Um, first of all, do you see him as someone who legitimately could step into England and, and do a job? Or do you think this is a flash in the pan, Jack Grealish-style debate between Ireland and England? So I think the... It's it's hard to discuss it without sounding very unflattering about the Republic of Ireland, but yeah, you know, right now I I think if Declan Rice is getting noises that he could be considered for England squads and has a chance of you know uh, featuring at some point, he must look at that over Republic of Ireland and feel that that's probably a less uh, let's be honest, you know, horrifying situation. That yeah, of unfortunately, you know, Republic of Ireland's uh, national team is just you know has struggled for so long um so there must be an advisory sense but you know there's always these kind of external factors you know what he feels that it does he feel that he's you know an irishman does he feel well this struggle we, 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 we don't know what his upbringing no. and what his family and, and friends and are, the, are i think family towards. pressures are always a thing yeah absolutely i mean he's called declan right so there's clearly a long irish there's some irish uh, in there i think, in there, I think. <laughs> yeah um but he, yeah, he he looked so happy when he scored that goal. Like he was, he did. Chuffed, it, which is a nice. He looked like to a see. fan scoring a goal, yeah. and I really liked that. Um, is there though a risk? I mean, there is a risk, but is there? Uh, a, a, are we too quick to jump on young English talent and hail them as the next big thing? And does that add just so much insane pressure that it's impossible to ever live up to? We're a nation. Let's not forget that had Wayne Rooney, who got the record amount of goals for United and for England. Mm-hmm. 
and people are so quick to absolutely hammer him. And now he's the 55th best player to play for England. Right. Uh, um, or best strike. It's, yeah, people have already moved on to this madness. sense that he was any, any good at all. Yeah, it's he crazy. He was lucky for 15 years. So I, I think right now is probably uh, actually a fairly reasonable time because I, there appears to be a much more kind of sensible outlook on British football. I, I think we've now accepted that, uh, you know, we're a, a fairly middling country who on occasion can can do well rather than expect to to make semi-finals of World Cups, which obviously we did. And there, there appears to be an enthusiasm or, and an understanding for bringing in young players. People were excited yeah. by Jadon Sancho. People are looking forward to Phil Foden. Oh, and look, uh, and look at the look at the the backlash that's happening at Chelsea with uh, Callum Hudson Odoi. Yes. They they want him to stay because they see this young, bright English footballer who is wanted by one of the world's biggest clubs. If this if he was playing for Bayern. Chelsea would be trying to sign this guy for 50 quite, million quite. quid. And all of a sudden, because he's not foreign and shiny and exciting, they don't want to know. And that's been a you know, Chelsea staple for a long time now. But when was your, the first World Cup you remember? Uh, 1990 was one I really remembered. Have you ever then, in your life, been as excited about England as you are now? I mean, you had... 1990 actually was a was a great time, I imagine. I'm a bit too young for that. 2004 European Championships, because I think that was when we had a genuinely good team. Probably a team as good as any other in that tournament. With Scary Rooney. Uh, with Scary no Rooney. No one knew who he was. Yeah, and I was probably excited because of this 18-year-old... Yeah, what's he going to do? Yeah, and, and when he play, uh, you know, had that first game against France where he eviscerated them for <laughs> yeah. 65, 70 minutes and... But yeah, this is probably the most exciting because I think it has to be tinged with a sense of I don't quite know. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I can envision three years time. I'm like, but maybe Jaden Sancho turns into you know our version of of Ribery or Robin and yeah. can just shred teams. Or, and... or, or he ends up being Aaron Lennon. Yeah, quite. Or, or Theo, or Theo Walcott. Walcott. But but I think that if I look at the list of players, or if I think about the list of young English players under twenty three, under twenty four, I cannot remember it being this strong in terms of depth of talent oh, I mean I, I cannot you mentioned there we mentioned a few there but let, let's just think about some of the players we've got the players who weren't even in the last squad you're looking at the likes of Will Hughes at Watford who I think is hugely underrated mm-hmm. and I don't know how he wasn't in the last England squad when Chalaba was that's a different argument entirely but you've got Phil Foden Jaden Sancho Hudson Odoi Mason Mount there's a huge long list of excellent players Declan Rice I mean I think there is, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but I think there is uh, a real sense that something is... golden generation. I'm not saying it. (laughs) But there's there's a chance that we, that getting to a semi-final wasn't a one-off and we might not have to wait for, you know, 30 years again for one. Yeah, there's a a two or four year window where, you know, these young players will reach, the ones we saw, you know, this summer will kind of reach their peak and they'll be supported by other players coming through who... You know, in the next World Cup, will be in their mid twenties at the exact point yeah. where, you know, you, you can achieve, you know, semi-finals and and, and goodness knows what. I, I think, you know, add in the fact that there's some of the young Liverpool defenders who, you know, uh, I mean, Alexandrano made the squad, but Gomez oh. is there to come in. So good, it's it's great, it's fantastic, and it's it's this whole sense of they haven't failed yet, so they're not tainted. The problem with yeah. that generation who lasted for 10 years you know Lampard, Gerrard etc etc is that they had four or five tournaments where there was a lot of underachieving so people 
essentially looking like, oh, it's this lot again. The ones and everyone's terrified of, of playing for England yeah. as a result. But even, even the players slightly older than the ones we mentioned there, of which there's a huge list more that we haven't even gone into, but players like um, Jesse Lingard, you know, still young. Harry Kane, still young. These are Raheem Sterling. These are still young players. Ali's 21, 22. Yeah, Raheem Sterling's turning 23. Which it's, is it's ridiculous. He's been around forever. Yeah. This is such an exciting time to be an England fan. That I'm just, you know, I just, I, I want Gareth Southgate to be there for, I want him to sign a huge, ridiculous, John Gruden-style NFL contract and be there for 10 years and just let him oversee it. And I hope United keep their hands off him. Just let Southgate redevelop and regenerate the entire setup. I honestly think that Southgate is, I think he's a very self-aware man and he, he understands you know what he's good at and, and, and when he has a good thing going. I would be surprised if they if they offered him if Manchester United offered him the job and I don't think they would, I suspect Southgate would probably de- decline it. Yes I do. Um I don't it's strange to suddenly be talking about the England job like it's a great job when mm. we've not probably viewed he's, that made for a long time. he's made it a he's great made job. He's made it a great job. He's made it look easy. And he's probably salivating thinking at least two more years. I can I I, we should be competing for the European Championships, yeah. and he probably wants to take a team into the World Cup. In, but in I would Qatar. like—I would like to see—and I know there's no loyalty in football. And I understand why. But what I would like to see is him rejecting any overtures from the likes of Man United and staying with the job and showing his loyalty, and us as a nation or as a uh, the FA showing some loyalty by saying, "Look, if he has a bad World Cup or a bad Euros, a bad month shouldn't be the end of him." It's, it's 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 a little slip. Look at the progress we've made on and off the field. I mean, it's just it, this is a different mood entirely to anything I can remember. Maybe apart from Euro '96, but that was never long term. No, that so, was an amazing blip in time. I yeah. I think the most promising thing, and obviously it doesn't, or it rarely translates. But so all the young England age groups, mm. uh, I think it was the 17s, 19s, and the 21s, uh, all reached a one major tournament yeah. finals. In the last two years, there's clearly, yeah. you know, something has happened with English players where they're being brought through and developed, which is uh, reaping reaping rewards. And if you can bring them through as a group, um, I mean, I'm an advocate for not even necessarily having to play Premier League players at the top six or seven clubs. Yeah. I'd say you can go into the Championship and pick players that are good if they have come up as a group, learning to play systems together, working Agreed. together. It also, so important that players like Jaden Sancho show some real balls to go to another country at 17, immerse himself in the culture, play regularly, and show that there is a pathway for young English talent to go and get games. And Hudson Adoy is looking over at his mate Jaden and going, you know what, I can be playing week in, week out in front of 75,000 fans for a top European team, or I can maybe get, maybe get 25 minutes a week at Chelsea. Quite, and, and I, I suspect at this point he's looking and he thinks it's a better opportunity for him to go to Germany and, and, and probably become a better footballer as a result. But also, I think as a nation, we're probably going, come on, make the move. Like, that's yeah. probably good for, for England. I, I think Absolutely. It's, uh, he could be our next Owen Hargreaves. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that positive note, um, we're going to finish there. Gareth Dobson, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming in. Thanks so can much we for get you me. on? Uh, can we get you on Twitter? What can we do? How do we follow you? Yes, so... Uh, you want to follow the so the record company I work for is called Wichita Recordings, and on all our social media we are Wichita Rex. How do you spell that? That's W I C H I T A R E C S. Okay, lovely. And we're on all the usuals. Come find our amazing bands and the artists we work with. Love, excellent. You've said that before. Uh, this has been the Whistleblowers Podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. See you next. See you fucking hell. <laughs> Can you believe that? All the way through. Perfect. Just end with a fuck off. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> See you next week. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.